So last week, we were in the first half of chapter 18 with Paul was in Corinth. He was discouraged by many of the Jewish people for preaching the gospel, but the Lord encouraged him by sending Timothy and Silas to give him financial gifts to support him so he could actually spend time doing the work of the ministry. So some of the Jewish people believed, and the Lord gave him a vision that he would not be harmed during his time in Corinth, if you remember that. So if they tried to, they basically tried to bring him to court, and then Gallio, uh, the court official, dismissed the case. So this is where we pick up in chapter 8, verse 18, says this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At, at century, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So he stayed in Corinth a little longer, and then along with Priscilla and Aquila, they set sail for Syria. But then it said he cut his hair because he was under a vow. Now this is something that's kind of left most theologians kind of guessing, basically scratching their head. Like, what vow did Paul take, and why at this point did he break it? So the best guess in all the studying is Paul had taken what they call the Nazarite vow, which consisted of not cutting your hair or drinking wine for a time as a sign of thankfulness to the Lord. So Paul possibly at this point was under the Nazarite vow, took the Nazarite vow while he was in his time in Corinth because um, basically he was thankful to God that no harm was coming his way. So most theologians believe that, okay, when he was leaving Corinth, he decided, okay, I don't have to, uh, like, uh, no longer adhere to this vow that I took. That's kind of like the best guess, okay? I mean, if somebody has a, a different explanation or you read something else, it, it's really not going to, you know, change anything in a sense. But basically, that's what most theologians think at that point. So now in verse 19, it says, And they came to Ephesus. And he left them there, but he himself, talking about Aquila and Priscilla, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul gets to Ephesus. Now, if you remember back in chapter 16, the Holy Spirit did not allow Paul to go to Asia. We talked about how sometimes God closes a door and then opens another door. And the Lord did that. He opened the door in Macedonia. Well, Ephesus is in Asia. And now the Lord allows Paul to actually, to actually go into Ephesus. And in 1 Corinthians 16, it says, a wide door opened for him in Ephesus. So now, obviously, God was opening a door. He closed it before. Now he was opening it. So like in other cities, he went into the synagogue. And what did he do when he got to the synagogue? Does anybody remember? He preached the gospel, right? He probably used the scriptures that they were aware of and talked about how Jesus was the fulfillment, that we are all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. 
Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And the scriptures say that all who believe will have eternal life. So Paul went to the synagogue and he spent time there preaching the gospel. Obviously, we see they asked him to stay a little longer. So they invited him to stay a little longer, but he declined. He declined, and mainly the reason was so he could go visit and encourage the churches that basically were already established. So he left Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus, and here's what happens. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul got into the port of Caesarea, headed to the church in Jerusalem. Remember, the church in Jerusalem was base camp for the Jewish Christians. Then he headed to Antioch and spent some time there. Now, basically what Luke is doing here is he's kind of giving us just this rundown of this course of time. Uh, many believe it was like as much as two years that, Paul, uh, that Luke kind of condenses here. So basically he went to Antioch, spent some time there, paid a visit to Galatia and then Phrygia, all to strengthen the disciples in those places. Luke doesn't go into detail, but this is pretty much the start of Paul's third missionary journey. This is pretty much the start of Paul's third missionary journey. Now, a lesson here really is this. Mission work is not only the preaching the gospel. You realize that? Like the missionaries that we support, it's not only preaching the gospel. It's also building up believers. Most of the missionaries that we support do both. They preach the gospel, but you'll notice when they come and share, and we've tried like in the last few years to really get a lot of the missionaries to come through here. And oddly enough, well, not oddly, but we, we change kind of what we do. We used to just give them like, you know, $200 to come. You know what I mean? We'd say, okay, missionaries come speak. We'll give you $200 and be on your way. But then years ago, we started to take a love offering. And all of a sudden, the love offerings were going $1,300, $1,500, $1,800, $6,000. And now the missionaries call me and they're like, Pastor Mike, when can we come back? You know, the truth is you're very generous. They appreciate it. And you know what? We appreciate hearing from them because most of them you, you have seen, they're not just dive bombing in and preaching the gospel. They're going into these communities, they're preaching the gospel, they're helping people with their needs, they're discipling them, they're encouraging them. That's the work of the missionary. They do all these things, and Paul realized that's, that's his job. That was his job, not only to just go and preach the gospel, but he was going and actually strengthening and encouraging the churches that he was already at. Now, you can only imagine... And when the Apostle Paul came back to the church that he originally spoke the gospel to, preached the gospel to, people became believers there. And now Paul's back. You always have like a, a personal affection to the people that preached the gospel to you at the first time. Like I have my, my youth pastor, Matt Mikulak, he's out at Karen University. And anytime I have the opportunity to see Matt somewhere around, I'll take the opportunity because, you know, he was one of the first people, not the only person, but one of the first people that not only I heard the gospel from, but actually took an interest in 
my spiritual life. So I have a personal affection for him. Just like all these believers felt about Paul. They're like, Paul's back. He's going to speak. Let's go hear what he has to say. So now, Luke, what he does is he turns our attention back to Ephesus, but without Paul there. And here's what happens. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and talked accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. So now we have this odd passage here about this guy, Apollos. He's an educated Jewish man, apparently competent in the scriptures and the ways of the Lord. He spoke about Jesus, but he only knew the baptism of John. So what I'm going to suggest here is at this point in Apollos' life, he wasn't a believer that was preaching the gospel. I'm going to make this suggestion, and here's why I'm going to follow it up. Here's what happens. In verse 26, it says, He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So now Priscilla and Aquila are listening to this guy. He's educated. He knows the scripture. But there was some connecting point that, they, that Apollos didn't get. So when they're sitting there listening, they're like, this guy's missing something. So we got to pull him aside and actually correct him and actually teach him. Remember, this couple were not in full-time vocational ministry. They worked jobs as tent makers, but they knew the gospel of Jesus. They knew the gospel of Jesus. So it must have been a little intimidating for them to share this with such an educated man. I mean, it's basically like you're sitting in a college class and the teacher's teaching and you're a college kid and you're like, okay, the teacher said something wrong. You know, I, I, I got to say something to him. Like, you know, I'm not going to raise my hand in the middle of class, but maybe after class, I'm going to go up to this teacher and say, you know what? The facts that you were giving are actually not facts. You're actually wrong in that. So basically, it must have been intimidating for them to share this with such an educated man, but they had to because he obviously was on mission. And the main point was Jesus is the Messiah, okay? So they had to make sure that he knew exactly who Jesus was and what he's, he, do, he, he has done. So this happens to people, right? This happens to people. They know about Jesus, right? They know about Jesus. They know about the Bible, but they have not fully put their trust in Jesus. Maybe you grew up like that. You were religious. You went to church. You were brought up in the church. I don't know, many of you were brought up in families that church and religion and being a good person was important, right? Anybody grow up like that? That was important. But you never really trusted Jesus. You never really put your faith in him. You heard about Jesus. I know that's how I grew up. I always knew about God. I always knew about Jesus. And I was brought up going to church but I never really heard a clear presentation of the gospel. And if I did, I wasn't listening, okay? So at that moment, when I was about 18 years old, I, I actually trusted in Jesus. When somebody explained the gospel to me, I was like, 
that, that now it all makes sense. So what I think was going on here with Apollos is he got as far as John's baptism, which demonstrated a recognition of one's sin, a desire for spiritual cleansing, a commitment to follow God's law in anticipation for the Messiah to come. So in other words, Apollos had it all down except for recognizing Jesus as actually the Messiah. So I think that's what's going on here. Okay, Apollos had it all down and he was waiting. And there are many people right now that are like that. There are many Jewish people. We had Mitch Glaser a few weeks ago, right? And the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah and they see Jesus and they say, that's not him. We're waiting for the Messiah. But the thing is, there are many Jewish people like Mitch Glaser and like many others that said, no, 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 Jesus actually is the Messiah. So when Priscilla and Aquila pulled him aside, I can only imagine the conversation went a little bit like this. You don't have to anticipate the arrival of the Messiah. Jesus is actually the Messiah. He already came. So apparently... He understood and believed because look what happens next. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace had believed. He had powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So now we have this couple that's not in vocational ministry, shares the clear, the rest of the story with Apollos, a very educated man that knows the scriptures. He knew the scriptures so well that when they connected the dots, he said, you're right. So then they said, okay, when you get there, you guys have to, I'm sending you with a letter. You have to welcome this guy and he's going to be a huge help. And obviously he was because he was competent in the scriptures. You know what? There's nothing better than somebody who knows the scriptures and then becomes a Christian. So somebody who has, was brought up in a church and knows the scriptures and stuff, and then eventually trusts in Jesus. Now, all of a sudden, not only are they a believer in Christ with the indwelling Holy Spirit, but guess what? They know a lot, okay? They know the scriptures. The drum I've been beating for how many years now is what? We should know the scriptures, right? We should study the scriptures. I remember years ago when we were up in Boston, I met this younger guy that was in uh, Harvard Divinity School. If you know anything about Harvard Divinity School, they teach a lot of religion, but they don't teach a lot of Jesus. This guy was educationally jacked. I mean, he gave me a run for my money when I talked to him. And he basically said, he's like, I, I hear what you're saying. I just don't believe that Jesus is who he said he is. But he knew the scriptures. So we went back for six months, emails, back and forth, back and forth. He would correct some of my errors. I'm like, thanks a lot, okay? The error that I'm trying to correct for you is you need to trust Jesus. We eventually kind of conversations dried up and stuff. I don't know whatever happened to him. But he knew so much. I'm like, man, if this guy would actually become a Christian, he could do so much work for the Lord. 
So now we see Apollos being a huge help in preaching the gospel because he knew what the scripture said. And now he knew Jesus was the one who fulfilled everything he believed. So now what we're going to do is we're going to pick up in chapter 19. In chapter 19 it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So now Apollos is in Corinth, Paul back in Ephesus, there he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So what in the world is going on here? So Apollos leaves. Remember, Apollos was in Ephesus. He's preaching, right? Aquila and Priscilla hear him and say, Okay, this guy's got almost everything, but not the most important part, that Jesus is actually the Messiah. He gets it. He goes to Corinth. Paul comes back to Ephesus. So now Apollos is in Corinth, and Paul gets back to Ephesus and finds his disciples and asks them, Hey, guys, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they say, Not only did we not receive the Holy Spirit, we don't even know who he is. So what type of preaching did they hear? So basically, Paul is wondering, What in the world did you guys hear? Who was preaching to you? So now there, this is like the second proof to to the theory that Apollos wasn't a believer yet. Because guess what? These were the people that Apollos was preaching to. So apparently after Priscilla and Aquila set him straight, I guess he didn't have time to go back or he couldn't grab his phone and text, hey guys, um, remember the message? I kind of forgot part of it, okay? So basically, here's what Paul does. He asks them. And he said... Into what then were you baptized? They said, hmm, surprise, surprise, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is, da 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 da, Jesus, okay? Apparently, these are the people that Apollos preached to before Priscilla and Aquila preached to him and set him straight. So now, basically what's happening here is this. Paul has to connect the dots for these people. So let's look and see what happens. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So here again, like earlier in Acts, they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues and they were prophesying. This was validation that they actually believed. It's a special apostolic time. Remember, they were living out the New Testament. They couldn't read the New Testament like we have today. So now Paul gets back to preaching about Jesus. And he enters the synagogue. It says this, and he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. For three months, he reasoned with them and was persuading them. Remember, part of what Paul did was use the scriptures that the Jewish people knew to connect the dots. Right? He used the scriptures that the Jewish people knew to connect the dots. Three months. Paul just didn't swing in for one day or two and preach and bail on these people. He gave it some time. You know what? Sometimes we feel that things should happen right away, don't we? You ever feel like that? 
We feel things should happen right away. We try something, that didn't work. I mean, one of the things, one of the things that this generation and the coming generations will struggle with is not getting what they want right away, right? We live in an instant gratification generation. It's just true. I mean, you know, when I talk to my kids and like about stuff like this, I'm like, yeah, when we were little kids, like if you turn on the TV and nothing was on, nothing was on, okay? There was nowhere else to go, okay? If it wasn't like eight o'clock on a Thursday night, you didn't watch a sitcom, right? You couldn't be like, okay, where can I get? We, I mean, we just were getting VCRs, right? And stuff like that. So now, right, what do people do? They just turn on their TV, get the smart apps, and right, what, what should I watch? And, and you're probably like most people, you spend a half an hour clicking through, what should I watch? And you're like, you know what, I'm tired, nothing, okay? <laughs> I just spent all my time looking for what to watch. Instant gratification, just, I want it right now. You know, that can spill over into ministry, can it? Maybe you're volunteering for something, and you're, you know, doing ministry, you're, you're helping out in some way, and it doesn't go exactly the way that you think it should at the time that it should, so, like last week we talked about, you get discouraged. You might throw your hands up and say, well, I tried this and it doesn't work. Well, you know what? Sometimes you have to try more than a few days or more than a few weeks. Dare I say you have to try more than a few months? And sometimes it might even take a few years where you actually are doing something and then you finally see the fruit of the labor. You know what? God uses those times, right? He uses those times to sharpen us, to direct us, to help us to see things. Because remember, God is looking for our obedience. He's not looking for the results as much as he's looking for the obedience. He's working with you. Give it some time. See how the Lord works. So as in other cities, Ephesus was no different. There would always be people that were not receptive, and they would go against Paul. Here's what happens. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation. So these were people, Paul not only continued, Paul not only continued to preach, they continued in their unbelief. So you can only imagine Three months of this, Paul going back and forth. You know, some people are believing, some people are stubborn, some people are unbelief, some people are like, oh, I'll hear more. They talk back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Eventually, some of these people, these unbelievers, they were very, very upset with Paul. It says the way. Remember in early on in Acts, they called like followers of the way because Jesus, what did he say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, you know, there were some people still, rather than calling them Christians, saying followers of the way. So basically what's, what's happening here is, you know, these people, not only are they like, okay, like, I don't believe what this guy says, but now they're mad. Okay, so they start saying evil things. So other people don't believe. This is a character issue, right? This is a character issue. Why did they feel the need to say evil things? Couldn't they just turn away and say, I don't believe that. That's not for me. You know, I mean, we have people on, in, in our lives like that, right? I don't believe that. That's not for me. 
you kind of part ways. So maybe this has happened to you, though. Because of your faith, people try to say bad things about you so other people won't listen to you. Things like that ever happen? They try to make you look bad. Or it might even be to the extent of people at work or around know that you're a Christian. So anytime you do something that's wrong, oh, look. Even the Christian does the wrong thing. Part of it is their character, right? Their character. They want to make you look bad. Partly because they probably feel bad about themselves. They are, they've got spiritual things going on. But you know what? Maybe even though you are a believer, you have character issues like these unbelievers. You gossip about people to make them look bad in front of others. Maybe you feel like, if I make them look bad, I'll look better. But do you know what the truth is? You look worse, okay? I'll just tell you this. If you're trying to make somebody else look bad, you are just looking worse. Because everybody knows what you're up to. Every, you think you're deceitful, you think you're deceptive enough to kind of get away with it, but everybody knows what you're up to. So what did Paul do here? I think Paul did the best thing that he could possibly do in this situation. When you're dealing with, I'm going to say, toxic people like this, he did the best possible thing that he could do. And this is what he did. He withdrew. He withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannius. So first I want to talk about this. Basically, here's what Paul did. He avoided these guys and he went and preached in other places, in another area. You know, sometimes in life, there are going to be people that we just can't get through to. They are going to be toxic and difficult people, and the best response that you could have is just to kind of step away, withdraw, okay? Some might say, well, they need Jesus too. And I would say, yup, and they heard about him, and guess what? They won't listen. You don't want to try. You can't force faith on anybody. So sometimes it's just good to back off. But let's dig a little deeper, right? Maybe you have a toxic person in your life, believer or unbeliever. Doesn't have anything to do with the gospel, but they're just a toxic person. Does anybody know any of those? Okay. I think you do. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe they're a friend, okay? Maybe they're at work. They're just a person that, you know what? You've tried and tried to work things out. You've communicated with them how you feel. You've done, like, you know, you've talked to your friends and asked for guidance and counsel. What do I do with this person? I can't deal with them. They just don't listen. I'm trying my best. I try to treat them kindly. I try to do, you know what? Maybe you need to follow Kind of what Paul's doing here. Maybe you just need to retreat a little bit. You need to step back. And I know some people are like, oh no, that's not good advice. You should always try to work things out. But would you agree that there's some people that just don't want to work things out? They're just not ready. They're just not prepared. They're just mean, okay? They're just those type of people. And sometimes you need to back off Give them some space. I'm not saying 
cut them out of your life forever, but you might need to just back off, give them some space, give yourself some space. Why? Well, the simple answer is this, your mental health, okay? It's true, your mental health. The simple answer is your mental health. Really think about it. If you spend too much time, because this is really the second thing, the first is your mental health, but think about this. You might spend too much time on them and you're missing out on others and other opportunities that God presents you with. Think about that. You might be missing out because you're spending so much time and energy trying to work things out that that person doesn't even want to work out. Remember, Paul says in Romans, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with others. So if you feel like I've checked every box, I'm doing everything to have peace, and this person will just not do it, sometimes you just have to say, okay, the best way is just withdraw a little bit. So after this, here's what happens. The main place that Paul went to was the Hall of Tyrannius. Now, most don't have, we don't have much info about this place, but it was probably named after a philosopher by that name. Okay, Paul and his companions, some suggest, may have rented out this space to have a meeting space so they can bring other people in so they can tell them about Jesus. So basically, Paul withdrew and he said, you know what, these people are, they just, they're, they're you know, pig-headed or whatever, they're toxic, they're just causing problems, they're not listening. So I need, I know that there's other people that need to hear this. So him and the disciples must have went and, and rented out some space so they can continue on in ministry. And this is what happens. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Wow, Paul now preaches for two years. Two years. And, you know, when I see this, I'm like, you know, I believe that every word is inspired by God, right? It says, all the residents of Asia. You know how many that is? All of them, okay? That's a lot. I don't really know, like, is this a generalization here? I don't, I don't really know. But basically, what it brings me back to is when Paul, remember, wanted to go to Asia, and the Spirit of the Lord said, nope, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Go to Macedonia. Remember Macedonia? Things went real well for him there. Wound up in jail. Got beat up a couple of times. Okay. God opened that fun door, right? So now God brings him to Asia, opens the door. And even though he still suffered, he still had opposition. What happened is God now opened this door for him in Asia to preach. So really, the, the final and closing lesson that we learn here is, you know what, sometimes in life, God closes a door, but three chapters later, <laughs> okay, he might open it up again. You just never know how God is going to work, but the, the goal of the Christian is to be obedient to the call. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're just so thankful for this day. We're thankful for the Apostle Paul. We're thankful, Lord, that he was so willing to continue to preach who you are and what you've done. We're thankful, Lord, for the lay people, Aquila and Priscilla, that were willing to go up to Apollos, a highly educated man, 
and correct that one truth that he was missing in all of his studies, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. We just pray, Lord, that we would, we would be Christians like this. We would be ones that are looking for the open door, are using our time to spend with people that are receptive. We pray, Lord, that if there's people in our lives that are toxic, that we would have the wisdom and guidance to step back to protect not only ourselves, but also so you open doors in other areas for us to work in. So I'm thankful again for this day. I'm thankful for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.